Hello and welcome to the Dungeon Masters Guildhouse. Uh, this is a weekly podcast where I, your host, Matthew Whitby, sit down with, with guests all across the DMs Guild and surrounding tabletop RPG space. And this week, I am I'm honoured to be joined by Willie Bill. Thank you. What's good? How, how, are we, how are we doing today? Doing all right. A little bit sweaty, a little bit okay. Yeah, I was going to say, we've had nothing but, I, I, again, I was about to say, in England, we've had nothing but rain, but then I guess there's no surprise there. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 awesome. So let's, you know, let's just pretty much dive straight into it then. So like for the people kind of listening, like um, what sort of, what kind of, like I already know that you're somewhat, um, you have something of a reputation. Uh, (laughs) Something about clowns maybe, I'm not sure. But but if anyone's curious, what what kind of, what are some of the products and things that you kind of like, you're known for? Yep. Um, So the big claim to fame that, uh, Myself and Leon are known for is the Book of House, which is sort of our way of like jumping right into the scene, uh, which does feature the aforementioned clowns, uh, the clown, if you will. Um, <clears throat> other than that, released a bunch of uh, little projects such as Necromancy Can Be Good, Culinary Weapons, starring Guy Fieri, but not really Guy Fieri. Um, and right now, I'm in the middle of working on Mean Frogs. So. <laughs> Sorry, that, that, that meme frogs. Is that, I, I imagine is that like a bestiary of meme frogs? No, 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 no. It's it's a character option. Um, I'm using meme frogs as sort of a placeholder. We do have a real name for them, and I'm just gonna hit everyone across the head with it as soon as like they're ready to go. Okay, so it's like um yeah, like a code name, like a sort of like op- op- Operation Meme Frog, and like people mm-hmm. in the know like oh yeah, Operation Meme Frog, and then when it's finally released, it's got a very sort of Polite, mundane title. <laughs> Polite, mundane. <laughs> yeah. So actually, so I guess kind of like immediately off the bat, obviously with with the um, again with like necromancy can be good with like the injecting like clowns into the there's 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 like I, I there's clearly like you kind of like is, would it be accurate to say that you kind of have like a, a more comedic bent towards the way that you 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 tackle the indie? Yeah. Um. I don't want to say irreverent or insincere, but comedic is definitely a good way to go about it. I like to take a concept that isn't necessarily like serious and kind of flesh it out more so that you have a lot of like breadth to work with and you can do something serious with that concept. But if you're having fun with it, then it's perfectly fine. Like all the cons that I play, um, yeah, they have a bit of a jokester like appeal to them, but they aren't necessarily like clowns first. If yeah. that makes any sense. No, I, I think it, it does. It kind of makes me think of like you see, um, what is it? The, the, there's that comic that floats around on the internet where there's one saying like, "Hi, I'm Slappy the Clown," and it's yeah! like, and then by the final panel, it's like, "Slappy, please don't leave me." <laughs> it's like it's like must. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna put a link to that in the, in the, the description below because people need to be graced with that. <laughs> I love that comment. So I, I guess the kind of the big question then, so the book of the house was kind of, uh, sorry, the book of house was kind of like the, your first publication. Um, how long ago did you sort of like put out there? Uh, time is a little weird right now, but that was <laughs> 2018. So that was uh, spring at this point, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. And, and then, so what was the kind of like, like in, what was the initial spark? Like, where the, the inspiration was? It, did it start with clowns? Or did they, they did start with clowns? <laughs> um, and then it went into spiders. Uh, no relation whatsoever, of course not. Um, and at that point, I'm like, I also want to put in sort of a 
tiny race option, figure out how to make us really tiny characters work. I'm thinking about the game mechanics at this point. And now you have three separate concepts entirely in this book, and it's a little bit of a mess. Mm -hmm. So we kept pushing it even further. We added like heroes. We added combat considerations, new magic items, new spells, actual enemies at the back of it, um, enemy modifiers, and all this other sort of things. And yeah, no, the book is a hodgepodge. Um, I was going to say, because it, mm -hmm. well, it, re it reads a lot uh, like um, Xanathar's guides to, to everything. Yes. It's, you know, it, it's that sort of like perfect um, combination of things that have their place. Like, again, you may, maybe the case like you pick up the book for just the clowns, uh, and then that you have all these other options to go, oh, you know what, I could, I could th this is a good spider. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love the Tulas so much. They're, they're, they're sweet babies. I mean, yes, they're horrifying to a lot of people, but they're, they're really sweet. And, and I, I guess I would. So when 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 I had the had the chance to speak to Leon on this, uh, they kind of mentioned that you have a you have more of a, a mechanical focus and stuff like that. Yes. And, um, and yeah, no, I, I guess like yeah, talk, talk, talk me through it. So I am I come from more of a video game designer sort of background, right? Um, I've been looking into game design for years at this point, going from childhood into whatever this is right now. <laughs> Um, and so when I came back into Dungeons and Dragons edition in particular, um, I was focused on sort of the mechanics. It's like, okay, these are simple. How do we make them interesting? Mm -hmm. Um, complicate them a little bit, but still accessible to people. Um, so yeah, especially when it came to, well, the clown race in particular, it's all like, all right, what's, what's the niche? What's going to stand out for them in terms of like, oh, these are different in gameplay from anyone else. And besides leading into the whole stretchy and balloony sort of stuff, it's like, okay. Um, but that isn't answering your question whatsoever. Uh, I just like the idea of systems and sort of intertwining that with a concept that's easily grokkable, um, sort of at a glance, and then from there elaborating on the system so it's, it becomes engaging, it becomes fun. Um, so... So I, I guess to hone the question then, like, so is it the case of sometimes you start more with like the mechanical side or is it normally like the idea that then kind of fuels the, me the mechanics? Uh, yes and no. Sometimes it starts with sort of a high level spark, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's just some sort of concept, for instance, like, oh, okay, we're going to play with slugs today. Yeah. It's like, all right, cool. What are some aspects of slugs that you think about? Oh, well, they're slimy. They have no arms. That's weird. They have little uh, feely bobbers. That's yeah. cool. And then sort of like pulling out the ideas that can be turned into games from there. Or it might be like, oh, hey, I want to play with a tiny character option. We don't have any of those in standard D&D &D right now. And it's like, oh, what, what do we already have in there? What's people's like, first perception of a really tiny character? Well, what about little fairies? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, sure. Let's uh, explore the sprites in particular because they're a little bit more feisty. And then it, the project kind of uh, rolls out from there. So it, I have several different entry points when it comes to uh, creating um, at least uh, gameplay elements. So. And then I guess, because like obviously uh, in... in the, the problem with like when it comes to creating systems and you kind of mentioned it yourself the idea of like making it easily grokkable and just mm -hmm. like, like a, is there any sort of like rule of thumb that you kind of like you have a gauge of like okay this is this has gotten a little bit a little bit a little bit away from me and it's, it's getting on 
the rule of thumb, what would that be? Um, in this case, more often than not, if you don't understand it after explaining it to yourself in two sentences, then no one else is going to understand it within like a whole paragraph. Yeah. Right. So as long as you can kind of pare it down into something that's like very snappy and easy to understand, then you have a very good chance of like elaborating on that for someone um, without them falling off the boat. Yeah. No, no, perfect. Um, and then to, to kind of pivot slightly, I, I, I do, I, I, I really do kind of want to talk about um, necromancy can be good. <gasps> yes. <laughs> um, so what was like, what was, what was the inspiration behind it? Like where, where did that, where did that idea stem from? So that was a design challenge. I remember this very specifically too, because uh, I already believe that necromancy is a very neutral sort of school of magic. Like evil people can practice necromancy, but necromancy itself isn't necessarily evil at all. So it's like, okay, this book isn't trying to prove anything to myself. So what about the people who don't believe that? They believe that necromancy is inherently evil. It's like, okay, let's... Uh, Let's, let's indulge them, shall we? Okay, here's some good necromancy spells, aka utility necromancy spells. Yeah. And then started building out more ideas off of that initial concept. Um, trying to find things that aren't necessarily done by other spells within the book proper mm -hmm. right now, but while also still keeping it in flavor. Um, and then from there, that kind of spun out of control into its own sort of like, oh, hey, well, we have this narrator. Who are they? Oh, well, they were brought back from the dead. Okay, that, that works out. Yeah. I mean, imagine, yeah, being brought back from the dead, you would probably have an opinion or two on, on necromancy as a whole. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And I think, what was it, there, there has been like the ongoing like sort of discourse um, around like the schools of magic. But necromancy, like if you had to tear them for like most evil to least evil, it's definitely, it, it may not even, it's probably like, top five but not maybe not even like top three exactly like i can understand where people are coming from and yes a lot of evil individuals are using necromancy to accomplish their goals but you know yeah. i think what is it i suppose you can sort of equivalent it to because like it's, it's very similar to like you know a, a transmutation wizard like animating furniture for their evil yeah. as opposed to not to say that the corpse is a furniture um but <laughs> <laughs> Again, if you are using corpse furniture, you are more on the evil side of the spectrum. Then exactly, yeah. Uh, sadly, <laughs> but no. And then, so I, I think it. So I the the so I guess my next question would be like, obviously, you could release a product that is just like a collection of of utility necromancy spells. Where where did the idea that like oh, well, I guess I need to give this, like, a, a sort of, like, a narrator or a sort of, like, almost, like, I guess, like, an in-law explanation or... I see. Yeah. Um, so, I did kind of, well, yeah, Leanne and myself, we did kind of look at other sort of spells that are already up on DM skill, collections that are huge tomes just filled to the brim with spells. And yeah. Don't want to really do anything like that. I'm trying to keep it like simple, nice, and pared down. But if we're going to do that, we have to make sure that it's still, I mean, worthwhile to the same people who would be looking towards those big volumes of spells. Yeah. So we added in more story elements. Uh, we added in a couple of uh, character considerations. Like, oh, hey, my character died, but I really like them. I want to play as them again, at least in some little capacity. So we looked at you know, Dragon Ball Z, bringing people back from the dead for a day, yeah. and other things like that. Just we found other places to kind of flesh out the quote-unquote value um, of the book itself. 
And, and so I guess to sort of like to pull back a little bit more then, because it's interesting that this kind of project started as almost like a like a self-imposed challenge. Mm -hmm. um, is that is that like is is that how like some of the other products have kind of started as well, or is it is it kind of like this was just a spare of the moment? Kind of. Um, I mean, if I had to think about it, if I, for lack of a better term, if I meme about something long enough, like <laughs> I keep on saying it over to myself, like right now, uh, as my little palette cleanser, I'm working on a Paper Mario clone that's based around Donkey Kong. So I'm saying Paper Monkey every three seconds in my <laughs> normal day-to-day -day lifetime. Yeah. And when I keep on saying something like that over and over, whether it is for a design challenge or it's just an idea that I have, eventually it kind of just takes root in my head, like, okay, I need to put this into something productive, right? So more often than not, the impetus is just sort of like planting the idea in my head at all times first, and then from there a project springs forth. Yeah, cool. And then I guess like a kind of like, um, uh, I, I guess like across your like catalog of, um, uh, like, I guess, yeah, across your catalog, is, is there one sort of like origin story that kind of stands out? The origin story that yeah, like, stands out. Parents killed an alley. Hells uh, <laughs> <laughs> everywhere. Um, <laughs> I mean, even the clowns, the, the clowns in particular, are probably the one that I kind of refer back to first because yeah. I don't really remember where they came from in particular. <laughs> uh, Leon told you a story about like coming back from the movie It and like, oh my goodness, I need to make these clown people like, yeah. right now. Um, I did find out recently that I have uh, documentation, words written before the release of that movie of me talking about the clown. So this is something that had been taken root for a little bit longer than the movie's been released. And I want to say that um, the clones themselves came out of this idea of putting something into the Tolkien Tol roster, right? Something that would stand alongside the roster as like, oh, hey, this has always been here. Tolkien, like J.R.R. did this himself. Yeah. Um, and then I came up with clowns, so <laughs> we'll figure that one out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, from a mechanical standpoint, I wanted something that would also be simple enough to understand, but still have its own sort of mechanical niche. Mm -hmm. But even that kind of steps on the toes of the everyman, the jack of all trades, the human. So yeah. it's like, okay, let's assume that the human are actually the variant human, where they, yes, they can pick whatever they want, and they just get good at that one thing in particular, mm -hmm. rather than being okay at everything. That opened up the room for, okay, here is a race that is good at just about everything to a moderate degree. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, now we can play with clowns. So I, I guess, I guess the, like, the, the interesting thing is, because like the, the concept, you could go a lot of different directions. So like, I'm curious as to why you, why you thought like, or like, like, because you could, you can make it like a bard subclass, you can make it a whole class in itself. Why, 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 why the race angle, I guess, all of the... Um, I did at one point approach the idea of a clown class. Uh, right now, there's actually a really good uh, clown class on the DMs Guild. And for a while, we were actually doing a little bit of a charity promotion along with oh. the class creator, which was really fun. Um, but my idea of a clown class is someone who is sort of a uh, facsimile of that class, right? It's going to be something that's a little bit more taken to the class's extremes, um, but isn't going to be good as the class proper. 
And like that would mean, okay, now we need to apply this in all of its individual subclasses. Oh, we need a sorcerer subclass. Oh, we need a fighter subclass. And it seems simpler to pare that down into the, like the character option themselves, like the race yeah. option from there, rather than actually building out that sort of class. Because then it's even harder to test too. Yeah. Like you're basically testing 12 different classes at once. A little bit much. <laughs> No, interesting. No, it's, it's yeah. It's, it is always fascinating to hear about those sort of like those those, those designed design de, design design. De, what, what I, I can't say the word design <laughs> design decisions. There we go. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, because because it's they, they they shape the whole pro product. You know, from from that sort of like you know like um, and no, it's it's yeah, it's it's kind of fascinating that you know it, it, it kind of found its place um, within within the the, the Booker House. Um, I'm gonna shake my entire answer now too, because oh. I remember this other aspect as well. In terms of figuring out that whole like, oh, hey, here's something, here's the standard like fantasy pantheon, like what's gonna stand out in terms of all these other uh, creatures in the list? And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, what about uh, big ears? No, gnomes have that. What about, I'm sorry, big noses, gnomes have that. Yeah. What about big ears? No, dwarves have that. What about big ears and big noses? Oh, okay. <laughs> So now we have this lanky sort of individual with these huge extremities that we can kind of like play with. And yeah. that, that kind of fits a different sort of visual mold as well when uh, creating the clown race. It's like, okay, yeah. I can work with that. And so did you go for oversized feet as well? Or is it just small feet, huge shoes? <laughs> um, they have big hands, big feet, uh, big cheeks. Mm -hmm. Noses and ears, and then anything else is just sort of exaggerated from there. So no, not perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's all these like I guess like yeah. What the the moment you're like okay, well let's make this like you know a character option. Then you think of like well I guess I do have to think about you know the average the average like appendage size of these. <laughs> I could have chosen a better word than appendage. Uh, Extremity. Like there's no good word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but like these are things you think about. It's like okay. This is something that I want to do uh, visually. That is going to be distinct, but still like recognizable. Like, okay, this is absolutely the clown option. This is the one that I want to pick. Yeah. Who are you? But aside from that. <laughs> um, and I feel like there was an opportunity to explore that more in terms of the race than in terms of the class, right? Yeah. Because when you're going in for a clown class, you're looking for a specific sort of niche. Like, oh, I want to be the jester who's. Mm -hmm mysterious and mystical or i want to be the bozo clown that is just sort of like goofy and having a good time yeah and why don't we try to meet that in the middle give you a base that you can kind of paint that sort of style onto right yeah no and in fairness yeah there's there's there is there's a good amount of flexibility with like you know the, the class and subclasses and that any amount of sort of like flavor or sort of like you know just like uh what's, what's the thing where like you, 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 if the class says, "Oh yeah, you get a dagger at first level," you'd be like, "Well, can it just be a mallet, like a small mallet?" Exactly. Like a, it's you know things like things like that that like change nothing mechanical, but gives that sort of like that character flair, um, as well as having again the the sort of options that you know choosing a a, a, a clone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean during testing we had someone who switched out their weapons for pies, and it's like, okay, yeah, sure. That works. We'll, we'll keep it mechanically the same. You can yeah. still figure this out for yourself. I imagine the, the baking cost on that is, is probably quite extraordinary. <laughs> oh, College of Culinary works very well with the clones. <laughs> so was that, was, was, that, was that an intentional crossover between those two products? Or? Um, no. I do remember... Where did the College of Culinary... 
And then I, I guess back I, now. I guess I guess for context. So what is it? The 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 cult, cult, it's like cult, Conan. Conan. Oh, I can't say the word. Uh, it's weapons of of chefs and cult, cult, culinary weapons. There we there go. We Thank go. you so much for saving me. I was drowning. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> no worries. No worries. No, the College of Culinary itself came first in the Book of House. Um, and from that, uh, I have one friend who's really obsessed with like playing a chef class. Um, his name is Matt. Really good guy. Um, but like I've seen the chef options that were out there and I try to take it into a different approach, right? A lot of the chef mechanical options are like, oh, hey, you have this ingredients list. These are the things you need to find and then you can turn it into sort of products you can give to other people. And it's like, okay, that's cool. That's not necessarily going to fit into every single campaign. Is there something I can do that's a little bit more universal? Yes, let the player flavor it for themselves. And then from there, it's like, all right, cool. So everything is made out of magic. And then we sort of worked out the College of Culinary from there. Um, and because it is sort of like fantastical and magical and you're able to sort of put all these things together in a way that like you're already kind of flavoring for yourself, mm -hmm. the clowns were just sort of a natural fit for it. I was gonna say, yeah, because I mean like, yeah, it, it, I'm, yeah I'm surprised other things didn't go from that because cause there, there is like conjure food and magic or conjure water or like, exactly. sort of like Heroes Feast. So there's all these sort of spells out there that, yeah, just summon food out of nowhere, which, again, the idea of eating arcane is, I, I, don't, know, like, I don't know how nourishing it would feel. It, it, it seems a little bit strange. And like, they even go out of their way in the flavor of those spells that are in the book to say, these are bland. Uh, so good luck, everybody else. Yeah. So it's like, all right. Um, we gave you the option to kind of create food out of nothing, but if you have fresh ingredients, then you can kind of get a super boost from those yeah. items, like, because nothing beats the real deal. Yeah. Um, and from there, it's like, yeah, you can kind of stuff that into nearly any sort of campaign setting that you want to, and that, that was perfect. That was accessible, so. Oh, awesome. Um, then I guess to, to pull back, like, uh, a little bit more then and talk about, like, your creative process as a whole, um, do you have, like a, like, a favorite part of the project? My favorite part of the project has to be the start and close to the finish line, right? <clears throat> so at the start, you're still coming up with a whole bunch of different ideas, like seeing, oh, hey, is this going to be cool? Is this something that we can elaborate on? Um, oh, yeah, and what comes after this? And, like, you kind of get into this sort of, like, downhill tumble of ideas, yeah. and all the sparks kind of get, like, collected into a nice little bag, and it feels great to have all of them, Right. And then there's the end of the project where you basically have everything sort of uh, filed down and it looks sort of clean. And then that's where all the last minute ideas come in. I'm like, oh, hey, this is still sort of like an echo from the start of the project. Well, what if this could happen after this? Now that this has all been figured out. And then you come up with these little tiny tweaks that actually end up making the project just feel a lot better. Um, for the College of Culinary in particular, um, I want to say it was either day of release or the day before. Um, one of the testers is all like, well, I kind of want in like in battle option if I haven't really prepared anything. So it's like, okay, now I need to have a, uh, cooking distraction ability. And I kind of fleshed that out really super quickly, put it in front of the testers. We kind of elaborated on it. Um, Leon made sure that all the wording was fine on there. And then we yeah. just stuck it right into the box. Um, and it worked out. <laughs> it's, yeah, no, I was, yeah, I, I kind of like, I, I echo that sentiment of like, it's weird how much when you sort of like plan out the whole document, you kind of like have like the, that the act of writing 
like even though you said this is what I need to write or this is the plan for the section, how how easy it is to still get creative within that that section and sort of exactly. again, like I said, yeah, the snowball effect. It's a case of like you're in the moment and you just see like, oh no, oh no, there's another snowball forming. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess as well, just to kind of touch on it, because you you've mentioned like um, testers like a fair bit. So I imagine is, is that like quite a cool part of your process to sort of get it in front of people. Um, I want it to be even more of a part of my process, but absolutely like making sure that people are able to play with it, make sure the mechanics are all like figured out ahead of time. Um, that's very important to me, especially coming from a sort of crunchier sort of background, so yeah. to speak. Um, and like, yeah, once you release it and you have people who are actually able to buy the product and they kind of let you know, oh, hey, this doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. Editing there is also just as valid, but it feels a lot better to have it all done ahead of time, right? I mean, I suppose uh, at the very least, like any sort of like play testing effort, you catch the, hopefully the, the most glaring issues, if there are any, um, just by sort of like having it in front of people. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I, I suppose it's not the case of like, there will always be the case of like, especially with like player facing options that, once you put it out in the open, there will be like, you know, the optimizers uh, who, yes. who, who try and see, okay, yeah, I could do this with this. And then combination with this weird combination of like, you know, um, multi-classing, I am now invincible. <laughs> and then I, I'm also guilty of doing a little bit of that. <laughs> like even in the middle of uh, working on the book of house, I was thinking about the multi-class between the College of Culinary and what what is the... Butler Monk. I forget what the actual name of it is in particular, mm -hmm. but it ends up meshing really well together. You do like a specific like portion of this versus this. Um, but yeah, I like to see that like happen and getting a glimpse into that, especially in the testing uh, phase as well, is also just super valuable to me. I guess, do you have any, uh, like, uh, not to put you on the point thing, but do you have any sort of interesting, like, playtesting stories of things that have kind of <laughs> spiraled out of control? Uh, ooh, let's see. No. I mean, that's a testament to your design. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I mean, testing itself is usually like a wild racket. I remember when we were doing a little bit of loose testing on the Great Worm Patron uh, Warlock, which was released a little bit after the book came out. Um, having just sort of a dragon pet who is a large individual sort of burst in on the scene does kind of get a bit distracting and breaks the flow of things just a smidge. Um, but that's kind of expected in the testing process. Mm -hmm. uh, things that like seem fine on paper don't necessarily translate into a modest sort of experience in-game. Um, at one point, we were playing with a lot more riskier items, such as uh, the Shovel of Unearthed Arcana, which is digging through terrain. And we were playing that in one of our normal home games, mm -hmm. and that basically bypassed an entire dungeon. So there's <laughs> that. Left that in, that's fine. Yeah. Um, there's also the other item which allows you to basically slice through something like interdimensionally. So it's an interdimensional zipper, right? Yeah. And that has implications. You put that onto someone's stomach and that's just gonna open them. Um, <laughs> and you just have to deal with that in the middle of the experience. Yeah, I, I, okay. I, think, I think actually I can, add, I can almost add on to that. There have been like a few items that through uh, just feedback from editors after people, they, they say, you need to specify that this cannot be used against creatures. <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> otherwise it will be one, horrific, and two, dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I don't like the idea of or, or my, my insides being zipped out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little rough. Um, we did leave that in there, though. No, I mean, yeah, the point. It, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's more the case of like, while in the writing of the item, you, you, you imply that, you know, oh, this would be great for like, you know, getting through walls. But you know, there's always that player who has that sort of like that eureka moment of like, I could put this on someone. <laughs> or just yeah. like, and I want to see what happens. And then the DM is like, I guess I have to work out what happens. <laughs> exactly. And actually, you know what? That's kind of uh, anecdotal too. Is that it? Right word for it? Anecdotal? Yeah. Flashing back a little bit, uh, we're working on our video game, Yeah, Jim Fury, myself, Leon, Greg, a few other people as well. And what's fun about that, it's a platformer, it's a puzzle platformer, and it has a lot of very fiddly mechanics to it. So people are able to kind of do things that we never necessarily intended for, but we want to find out about and like really sort of explore. Um, and at one point we found out that you're able to kind of squeeze into a very tiny portion of uh, like a map, right? Like right here where it's already closed off mm -hmm. um, by using a specific number of inputs. And it's like, okay, that's really cool. That necessarily, that kind of breaks what we had already, but we're gonna leave it in there and we're gonna encourage people to do it anyway because hey, someone found out about it. Yeah. Um, and that became one of the techniques that we kind of explored in our video series. Like, okay, oh, hey, just something that you can do too. You just gotta practice it. I mean, it's, it's always that case of this, yeah, especially when it comes to the, like, digital game development. Um, there is, like, for, for sort of, like, at least in the speedrunning community, it is a case of, like, things like that, I mean, they, they, they become sort of coveted. Um, exactly. And it is, it is weird that there isn't necessarily a, a tabletop RPG parallel. I'm, tr I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of if there are any sort of, like, quote-unquote bugs within the 5e system that... That haven't been errated or let me see <laughs> i mean there's technically what like healing spirit that sort of uh spell for D D 5e uh yeah. where you can kind of just walk in and out of it and keep on getting healed super fast and, and, then, and then yeah they, they, they did change it though didn't they they did yeah so it's yeah i i, I guess it, yeah i, I suppose it's it, 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 it's it's a it's a i imagine it's harder to do because i suppose how do you like the only way i can think about it is is like intentionally speed running an adventure in some way exactly <laughs> which well, we can bypass these three chapters and beat the game at level three against a lich who is like cr 13 21 whatever uh yeah i actually was i can't remember if i, I this was the conversation i had on the podcast but i would love to see people speed running D. &D. i like i, I, I would like, be a lot of fun like i don't know like like a hardcover adventure like, I don't know how you, how you would do it, but like the party, they already know who they need to go to and where. They just like speed through the, I, I don't think it would work because there's too, there's too much. The curse of kicking Strahd's ass really, <laughs> really quickly. Yeah. And then was it, you, you they, they go like straight in, we go through the mess, we go to castles, uh, Strahd's castle. <laughs> We're just like, okay, <laughs> level one, that's bold. It's like, we go to his basement. It's like, okay, well that's the... <laughs> I don't know. I like. I, I. I think even trying to figure out a system where you could like that might be a challenge for me. Like, I'm gonna write like a speedrunner's guide to D and D. Be really cool. I mean, yeah. There, there's the human element. So, like, the DM has to be willing to allow for this to happen and not like try to put stuff in the way, sort of like fiat, right? Yeah. Um. But I mean, this this is a game, and you can kind of play with it raw and yeah. figure it out from there. I would absolutely love to find out what that would look like. Okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make a scribble. Yes. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see where that ends up a couple months down the line. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but but to get almost sorry, forgive me to get back on topic and, and talk about you and your your creative process then. Um, the other side of the coin, like so, you mentioned how you quite enjoyed the start of the project and towards the end. Is there like a part that you don't necessarily enjoy as much? Yes. Um, so it's right before the middle part. Um, it's right like after the starting part. It's where you have to sort of settle down and figure out, okay, this is the plan of action that we need to take to make this happen. Um, that's where a lot of projects go to die, I feel like. It stops being like, oh, this is just a fun idea and just kind of floats off into the ether. Yeah. Um, or it actually gets figured out and you're able to start like cramming down on it, right? Um, but that's, it's difficult to get to that point. Um, you don't necessarily know immediately what sort of requirements you're going to need um, unless you're doing something that you've already done before. Um, so you just sort of have to wing it and hope for the best. And yeah. then from there, in the middle of the process, you can change course, of course. Like, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's always the part that, like, rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. I suppose it is it's always the case of, like, when it comes to, like, writing a project, there's, there's always a point where you realize, like, oh, it probably should have this. And, and you're just like... It's like, it's like, that's not, that's, it's, 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 it's like, it's the case of, it's that balance of like, I, I don't really want to write this, but it's like, it kind of like, or like there's, 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 it's, there's the two things of like, when you realize there's something that you want to include and you're like, yes, this is great. Another great idea. But then the other part of like, oh yeah, it would probably really make sense to have this. And then it's like, a bit like mm -hmm. okay, this, this, this is kind of, the, the project itself is expanding. <laughs> it gets, the, the further away it gets from that sort of like, you know, the idea of like fun, sort of initial sort of inspiration spark of like, ah, oh, this is, would be amazing, you know. Um, you start to see the road and yeah. it's, it's, it's intimidating. Have you, I, I suppose, do you have any, like, uh, is there any, anything, to, anything that you do in particular to kind of better navigate the road? Or are you just kind of like along for the ride? Uh, tumble through it, effectively. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, once you're in the thick of it and you know what you need to do, it's like, okay, yeah, then I'm just going to get this done when I can. I have this scheduled out. It's time to work on this, so on and so forth. And you're able to kind of just uh, get through it. And eventually it does get done. Whether or not it's on time is a whole different story entirely. But uh, I don't really have any surefire way of making sure I get through that safe and sound at all. Uh, yeah, more often than not, it's sort of uh, by the whim of the winds that it actually. It, I guess, I guess it, it does vary from project to project because the, there are like obviously like in in being like a creative person, like you do come up with like so many ideas, and as you're sort of like making less of them, there are ones that you can look at them and be like, okay, that is that's a very contained scope, and there are exactly. the other ones that are more nebulous. That like you even then you're excited about the concept, but you you don't even know what shape it's taking just yet. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> Yeah, that happens a lot in particular. I do have a few smaller projects that we've already figured out the scope for, and then we have uh, sort of bigger ones uh, mm -hmm. in store that are either growing or shrinking depending on the day. Um, and it, I won't know what that's going to look like until we actually start working on them. So, Yeah, and I must admit, I think as, uh, like, again, for like the kind of creators listening, I think it is good to have a range of project scopes. Um, yeah. And especially like if you are starting out, to be kind of aware of like what scope is your comfort zone. That's true too. Um, just um, because the, 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 the sort of, again, that was it, I'm trying to think of like JVC Parry's like campaign tier books is, I imagine it's probably on the, the, the highest end of the spectrum of like, you know, time commitment. Um, and, and yeah, it's like I said, it, that, it, that is 
that is probably difficult. Like, I, 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 again, I, I can only speculate. <laughs> I've not written any campaigns yet. Um, but, and it might be the case that is your wheelhouse. You, you, you like having one project where it is like you are fully consumed by it. It's kind of like all encapsulating. Um, and, and you know day by day that like every day you're kind of taking steps towards, you know, that, that sort of big goal. Um, but then on the other end of the spectrum, it's kind of nice to have things where you're just like, oh yeah, this, this is like, this is almost like a, a game jam or something like this is something that I can, I can exactly. construct within a week. Um, yeah. And we had those little small projects too, like super yeah. tiny. Um, Uncovered Wonders is that, I forgot about that. That was the other project that we actually yeah. worked on. Um, that's just pure untested stuff, but it has a really nice aesthetic to it in terms of like the art style of the little PDFs. And it's all really sort of wild or gonzo sort of mechanics that you can play with for a specific type of character. So, um, but like, yeah, they're smaller, they're simpler. There's a lot less pressure on them. Um, and it's 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 a good sort of like getaway from the bigger projects. Yeah, you, you touched on like a really good point there, which is obviously the longer you have something kind of doing, there is there is that building pressure of like the the like again you you almost feel like the longer you spend on something that it's I guess it's kind of naturally implied that the more successful or like you know more wear of seed you kind of want it because you know <laughs> it's yeah it, it's that weird sort of time is money sort of thing so like oh hey the further along this project gets uh the less value it's going to be bringing to you over time and all sorts of other stuff that you don't really want to think about that no. doesn't really matter to you but it still bothers you yeah whatever uh <laughs> mean frogs will be coming out i promise <laughs> no i i think yeah i, I, I get it. it there, there is always like again it kind of i guess it kind of depends on like why you're like what, what is your intention for, for, for crane like if, if it is like a lifeline for you then those sort of concerns are probably paramount right. um yes. people, like in my position as a fan i think i can I, I should be more i should allow myself to be more frivolous and not to in the case of like so you know sometimes it is a case of like i should just put it out there you know i, I could spend you know another x number of you know weeks of you know Building. but sometimes it's it's nice to kind of you know get things out there and just keep 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 the tr keep keep the you know the momentum of just exactly yeah. um yeah and even figuring out when that is is kind of a skill too yeah. so um like yeah there's there's a few projects that could have probably been released a lot sooner than what we intended but mm -hmm. i am not regretting doing so right <laughs> like i'm very much happy with what we ended up with yeah. that's out so yeah, no, it's, yeah, it, it, it again, it, it's, it's a case of like, there, there, 100%, there's no right answer. Um, and it is very much like on like gut intuition and you kind of like, you, you work it out over time. Um, or, or maybe you don't, I don't know, I haven't worked it out yet. I'm just hoping that <laughs> eventually one day I will realize that I, <laughs> I have Please. gained that knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> sorry, moving away from that slight existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Um, are there any are there any sort of like you know particular lessons that you kind of wish you'd learned earlier? Which I guess it, it kind of touches into like what we've been chatting about. I suppose. Um, lessons that I've learned earlier. <sighs> like, yeah, you know, I need to start it? learning a lot more. <laughs> you know, was it the hop in the time machine? Go go back in like a year or two. You put, <laughs> you grab a past Willy by the thing. They're like, you need you need to know this. <laughs> uh, I mean. Yeah, pretty much things are going to take a lot longer than you expect. Like, as long as you set a date, you're going to probably exceed past it. Um, but setting that date is still important to give you sort of like a, a, a direction to shoot for, right? Um, it's not necessarily that that direction is 
unimportant, mm -hmm. but like it's not going to matter as much towards the end of the project. Yeah, I think the the sort That's of right. self-imposed deadlines is, is is it's a difficult one to balance, um, especially even even at the best of times, like trying to um, anticipate like your, your speed of work. Um, it, yeah, it, it kind of varies, and that's why, like, I don't know why, but when it comes to collaborations, it is, it feels, it does feel so much easier to working to someone else's deadline than, than your own. That's true too. Um, I am very much a very slow writer, um, but when I have control over my own projects, it's, it's, it's nice to have sort of that deadline, but it's also nice to know that I don't necessarily need to be broken by that deadline. Whereas when you're working with other people on a collaborative project, um, yeah, you're able to get done what you need to. You're explaining to the project manager, oh, hey, this is what I'm going to be able to do, and they can figure out the rest for you. Like, okay, this is what you're going to be able to accomplish by this deadline that we've set. Um, and it's like, okay, this is cool. We can work with this. Um, the thing is about those collaborative projects is make sure you keep on top of the discussions that are happening. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you might fall super far behind um, and lose out on what the current discussion is, what their current worries are. Because mm -hmm. especially if you're running into, uh, what do you call it, hurdles on your own, um, yeah. they might have already figured that out uh, a couple of weeks back and you just catch that. So. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah collabor collaboration, they're in a weird enigma. <laughs> and obviously, they've, they vary in kind of project. Um, I guess uh, I had I had I had a question, but it has slipped my mind. Oh no, it's fine. It will come back to me <laughs> in, in in some sense. I guess I guess uh, like the the uh, I, well, I guess I I, I mentioned that is um, speaking of collaborations. Uh, you're involved in was it Fantastic Layers? Yes, um, <laughs> I actually just locked down what I wanted to do for my part of Fantastic Layer uh, a little bit earlier in the week. So I'm, I'm very excited to kind of like put that to paper. So, and I, I guess so for, like for people listening, do you want to give like a slight pitch of like your kind of involvement in the project? I, obviously, I imagine NDAs are in, in effect in some Right. I think I can navigate this. Yeah. Um, Myself and several other people were sort of stretch goals to kind of elaborate on sort of the layers that are going to be within the book itself proper. Um, sort of like give you like an idea of how to integrate this into your campaign or building a campaign using this as sort of like the ultimate sort of encounter. Um, from there, I uh, talked to James in particular. I'm like, oh, hey, I really like... Uh, this one you got here, you're talking about a Tarasque, and I can absolutely uh, do a little <laughs> bit of uh, something with that Tarasque. Yeah. And, and then I got to see the lair itself, which is really, like, it's, it's really cool. And um, yeah, now I'm figuring out sort of a campaign notes that you can play with. I, I was gonna say, was it, so, uh, was it James, James Intracasso, the, the Tarasque guy, I guess I would, I was like, <laughs> and he was, he was like, yeah, no, by all means, take the, take this one. <laughs> I, I, I would. I don't know why. I felt like he would like be holding there like a terrace, like his baby. <laughs> James and I kind of, sort of, we we have a buddy buddy relationship when it comes to the Gonzo, the things that are like wildly excessive and mm -hmm. weird, but are yes. still fun and cool. Um, that comes out in the Tarasque lair itself, mm -hmm. um, and I'm hoping that's going to come out a little bit in what I have to write for me. So no, fantastic. We're, no, it's, we're kind it's, of on a very similar wavelength. Yeah, so. no, it's, it's really exciting to hear about. And yeah, no, I, I, I can't wait for it to be, be really, I, I don't know if it has a release date yet or anything. It's just the, the future at some point. Like I said, what is it? There'll, yeah. be, there'll be a link in the description as well as like, you know, all the, 
I realise I've now gone very blurry. I'm gonna sorry. It's <laughs> all good. That, that's, but the future is yeah. blurry. We just don't know. Yeah, no, it's just yeah, no, it's just my my poor camera. <laughs> so then I guess it's talking about what that you know what you set me up perfectly talking about because I kind of like the future of the whole then. Um, do you have like a, a sort of like a dream project or you know something that you kind of like? So here's the fun part. Uh, generally speaking, I still have the headspace of a video game designer, so when I think about the dream project, my dream project is probably going to be a video game, per se. Um, but it's one where I'm able to work with a bunch of really, like, ideas, super sparky individuals. Um, it's one where I'm able to sort of, like, spearhead the project, but still also get into the gritty of the creative aspect of it. Um, and it's one that's super elaborative and interesting and big. Um, and yeah. you're, you can tell that like by all the superlatives that I'm throwing at it and all the like useless words that I'm using to try to describe this super blurry thing that I have no idea what my dream project actually is. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I want a project that I'm going to be super excited about. And I think that's my dream project. One that's and, going to put me over the moon. Yeah. And, and so in, in particular, like, so, so one, one, it's interesting that you kind of mentioned like, obviously it's like spearheading it as a fan. I imagine like, um, it's, it, it's, I, that in itself is like a whole other beast. Like, yeah. talk about like, what is it? Being involved in collaborations, running a collaboration is, is, is entirely different. It's, but, but no, it's, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, and then, I guess that kind of like you kind of touched on it a little bit before, but I, I guess like the kind of game design or like you know uh, interest and you know um, background you kind of have, um, I take it that naturally kind of feeds itself into your sort of like tabletop RPG work. Sure does, and that's why a lot of my stuff does feel a little bit more uh, gamier, so to speak. <laughs> it's a very weird adjective, but everyone knows what it means. Yeah. So. And I guess is it is there anything like is there anything in particular that you always try to like? Is, I, I, I guess, I guess my, my question would be like, is there anything about like games, uh, like the, the, I guess the, the medium of video games that you particularly wish or want to try and bring into D&D as much as possible? Not, not necessarily D&D, maybe we're just teaching uh, tabletop RPGs. I have an answer for this. Ooh. Okay, so um, something that I've noticed in my own sort of tabletop work and what I like to work into my own sort of homebrew is <laughs> locomotion options, right? Things that allow you to move around the field and be able to be like super dynamic in position. Mm -hmm. And like that, that's super important. Positioning and movement are cool, right? And they get you thinking strategically. They get you thinking like spectacularly, like it's spectacle as well while you're moving about and doing super cool stunts and what have you. Yeah. And that's something that video games like to do a lot and mm -hmm. very well. Um, especially in sort of the distant cousin, the strategy RPG, the tactics RPG, your fire emblems, your disguise and what have you. Um, what they have over your standard uh, tabletop war game in particular is that you have to position these units before you doing your spectacular moves. And a lot of that movement is really cool and can be translated into the tabletop space, I feel. Um, and that's something that I try to do a lot. Yeah, I guess like uh, the, the, the game that kind of really pops to mind uh, in terms of like movement is, is all the sort of innovations they've had with like first person shooters. Yes. I, I look at like with like the Titanfall and even to lesser than some of the like more battle royales like Call of Duty, now they've introduced like a slide and um, yeah, I, I, I think it is like, and immediately when I think of like, you know, D&D &D and stuff like that, 
the sort of like moving across the table if you have like miniatures and stuff like that is it never feels particularly dynamic it is exactly. very lot, a lot of running offline <laughs> um and, and the, sometimes you get to the optimal position and you just sort of stop in place and you keep on doing the same move over and over. And you, you want to have more options than doing just that because you're working with other people at the table. And if that part becomes sort of boring, you're kind of waiting for other people to do super cool stuff and they end up not doing super cool stuff, yeah. then the kind of experience kind of comes down. I suppose it makes me think of the idea of like, well, you know, not enough, <laughs> just including a chandelier in every room, regardless yes. of if it makes sense or context. Like you are, you are 3,000 feet underground. Uh, you come into a dingy cave. There is a chandelier. Uh, it's, very, <laughs> it's very ornate, um, but you know. <laughs> I just As know a DM that. though, like my signature in particular are bigger enemies and bigger enemies that throw you. Um, so I'm constantly throwing pieces around the board just to sort of get that thrill, you know? I, th I think especially like there is the, I think what seems to be a big factor is like the, the idea of like a attack of opportunity, yes. I think is, is, is it's, it's great and stuff like that, but I think it is like a hindrance to some of these sort of like more, um, flashy movement options that you would try and implement because it's a case of like, that you you aren't rewarded for trying to move away from an enemy once you get you know within five feet of them. Yeah, you're actually you can get actually, punished just yeah. right on the spot. It's better to just stay there. Yeah, which is yeah, which is why yeah, like there there, sh there should be more enemies that just throw you. <laughs> they should throw you straight up into the cavern chandelier. <laughs> there it is. That's actually what I'm missing. I do need to introduce more chandeliers. Yeah, it, but it, you know, it, it, it's another thing as well. Was they, they do talk a lot about like when it comes to like designing dungeons and stuff like that, introducing a level of like verticality, which it, yes. it, I, I think is often quite quite underlooked um, because I think it is naturally to just assume that you're within like a room and stuff like that, and there isn't things to worry about like above or below you. Um, but it, it, it again, it, it introduces those elements that the players now have to think about how they move now. Now that they, they have to work out how to get up there, so it becomes a little bit less of, oh, I just you know run thirty feet. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of that is just sort of like the tools that we use versus in the video game space. Like in the video game space, yes, you're gonna have someone who's going to build out sort of the terrain for you. It's gonna be a little bit more vertical. It's gonna be a little bit more dynamic. Where a lot of people who are playing like Dungeons and Dragons at home are with a simple grid, a marker grid, um, and that's flat. And you have to sort of imagine sort of that terrain for yourself, or you build it up using boxes and other sort of books that you have on the table, um, to the best of your ability, of course. Yeah. But like, it's it's there's an extra step that's involved in order to get there. No, no I, I, yeah, interesting. No, I get, yeah, no, I, I think it is the case of like, obviously, when they talk about um, like this is more of an abstract statement of like how you can use media to sort of inspire like your creative writing. Um, and one of the go-to is like, oh yeah, you know, books and films is a fact. But I mean, games, they, there are so many cool ideas, just like latent, latent awe, just waiting to be mined. Exactly. <laughs> it's all about that interaction, baby. <laughs> so then I guess um, uh, keeping the line question kind of like more towards the, the future of the whole. Um, is is uh, uh, so uh, again? So aside from fantastic layers uh, and meme frogs, um, is there anything else that you're currently kind of working working on? Let's see. Um, there is that uh, MCDM uh, magazine, Arcadium. Um, mm -hmm. 
I'm, I'm working on some uh, fun little uh, options for it that just went through testing. I need to actually look over the feedback for that. So that, that's, that's coming along pretty nicely mm -hmm. right now. Um, we have more clans on the way. Um, Liam and I are working through a supplement of some extra rules, a whole other like uh, clonish option in particular, a couple of subclasses, and an example clonish town that you can kind of just like inject into a place. It's like, oh, well, I like your clowns, but I don't know how to put them into my setting. Well, here yeah. you go. Here's a whole place where you can put them. This is fine. Um, that's, that's cool. That's coming along. Um, there is the next big book. Uh, that hasn't really made any progress lately, but I have a lot of the outline itself done and working through a few of the options that's based on big and small options. Um, we saw the Hillaby earlier last year. I don't know what time means anymore. Um, that's going to basically be a part of the book, uh, but that's going to feature a lot of stuff to do with uh, tiny character options, large character options, um, ways to build said characters, like an alternative ASI involving size, mm -hmm. what have you. Um, that's a huge undertaking and it's very difficult to kind of jump back into in the moment, yeah. but like it's, it's, it's on the way. So that, that's, that's kind oh, of fun. Interesting. Yeah, no, I was, yeah, there is, there, there, it, yeah, there, it feels like there are a lot of, there's a lot of play space or there, at least there is like a design void with those sort of sides of the like size spectrum. Yeah, uh, and a lot of it just comes from the fact that 5e isn't really built to accommodate that, especially from the player perspective. Mm -hmm. So you have to figure out, okay, well, how much do we need to wiggle that space open so that the player can still have fun within that space, you know? No, no again, again, it's, it sounds like, you, yeah, you, 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 I, I, my go-to thing is like, it sounds like you're spinning a lot of plates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I, I always I feel like That's that is. Knows. Absolutely. Yeah. I honestly feel like it's, it's the most accurate summary of like being, being, being a, a, a tabletop RPG writer. It's just spinning a lot of plates and, and you just hope you can keep them all upright. <laughs> yep. No. And then I guess, I guess like the, um, kind of following from that then, because we, again, we have spent like a good amount of time sort of talking about um, collaborations as a whole. Um, but are there, are, there, are there people in the, the DM Guild community that sort of like, can like, you know, that inspires you in particular that you kind of want to? There's too many. They're all creating right now in the middle of all of this happening at the moment. And it's, it's wild. And I like admire everyone who at least like writes a single character in their Word document. <laughs> Uh, during this moment, but I will call out. Um, I have two people in mind that nice. I can absolutely call out. Uh, one of which is uh, Michael Doral, um, someone that we met at Pax Unplugged last year, and he really wanted to break into DM skills, and he has been crunching ever since. And for the better part of the year, he recently put out his uh, at Valentine Adventure, which is really good. Um, and I'm, I'm glad he's super proud of it. Um, that's doing pretty well as, or, as far as I can tell. And he's got other stuff on the way too. So like he's, he's a real champion, um, inspired by him. I was going to say, that's, that, that's fantastic. What was it the, uh, a PAX, a PAX connection? Uh, yeah. yeah, it's sort of stemming into the DMs Guild space. Um, and then the other individual, um, they're working on illustrating Sonic those scenes right now, which is totally cool. That's fine. Um, but, uh, <laughs> that sounds rad. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, but uh, his name is Zito. 
Um, and what he likes to do is he creates all these sort of uh, character and player options that are kind of simple to grok. They have a very simple concept like, oh, these are gator folk. They're really big. Have fun, people. Um, and they come with a lot of really interesting and unique gameplay ideas and mechanics, and in particular, feats. He likes to create a lot of character feats, and I've absolutely stolen that design mentality from him. So absolutely an inspiration for me. Yeah, no, I must admit, like, the, uh, the, the, I've noticed that well, there's, there's, there's definitely like a, a, a sort of uptick of feet-based products, which <laughs> I hate saying that. <laughs> it's like <laughs> F-E-A-T, feet, feet. <laughs> <Before. laughs> Additional feature options. They, yeah, I, I'm actually just feature, no, the, the, you, <laughs> you can't call it features because then nobody knows what you're on about anymore. It's yeah, like, that's true. You have to say the word um, and that is, it, it, it is an interesting design space because I guess it is the case of like that in itself is it's an optional like thing. and I can understand that why there are some DMs that are hesitant to allow the sort of feet shenanigans. Wild, absolutely, but they're fun. Yeah, yeah no, and I, I, again, I think what they do is they kind of feel that spot of um, um, at least for um, characterization, like the idea of like you know tavern brawler. Or like you know, being like a sharpshooter, it's things that like you know you would you would naturally say about your character. But these are like I guess mechanical. They're evidence yeah. to that point that you've made about them. And I, I guess I'm curious then. So like so in in inspired by um again sorry uh, is it Zika or uh, Zito Z I T O Z I T O uh, sorry um so in, sort of inspired by Zito then is is like how 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 has your kind of approach to approach to fleets it's the one it's literally the worst like if I, if I have to redesign i'm gonna redesign feats just so i can rename it like it's, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a grown man here talking about feet and people are like people are gonna clip it and take it out of context and i'm gonna be a weird, like sorry i'm not I'm, it's like, all good no i'm i'm in hell with you <laughs> um but in general, I, I try to think about like, oh, hey, how do I push this one concept in a different direction? Um, like the meme frogs, they have about maybe five or six different racial feats that are going to be included with them, which is really cool. Yeah. But even thinking back to the clans, for instance, uh, one of the feats that they get is clonish humor. And they basically are able to cast Tasha's hideous laughter almost unlimited amount of times a day, but like um, one, once on a person once per day, right? Yeah. Um, just the idea, oh, hey, clowns make you laugh. And it's like, okay, cool, we can explore that a little bit more. Um, and it's almost free game real estate. Game design real estate right there. Um, you don't necessarily need to fit it into your whole entire scaling pattern within a subclass. You don't have to overwhelm the racial option right at the start. Like these are things that a person can take on their own. Um, and they don't necessarily need to be super elaborate, but like they can absolutely be super fun. Like, yeah. So. And yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's funny. Yeah, just because like, so you, I mean, you you look at like was it the tieflings, and obviously them just having an innate ability to cast hellish rebuke. Yeah. And it, it's just like when it comes to creating a, a new race and stuff like that, just by adding an ability like that to say that these you know this race has an innate ability to cast 
I don't know, like polymorph or, or, or maybe that's, that's immediately way too strong. Well, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it's, yeah, no, immediately it's, it's, it's kind of interesting and it adds, it builds that flavor. Like again, it, it, again, giving Tasha's hideous laughter makes so much sense for, for, for class. <laughs> like it would be strong at level one, but by level four, yeah, take it, yeah. go for it. Yeah, go no, interesting. Um, what, I get, yeah, no, hot, hot damn. Um, look, looking at the time there, I, I think, again, it's, it, we're, we're coming roughly, yeah, no, it, it's flown by all this, all this feet talk. <laughs> oh, okay. You, I was going to say, it's been great, and then you mentioned the feet, and, you know. The, listen, if, it's, my, it's my, part of my identity now. <laughs> I, I didn't, I, I realized it, like, the, moment, the more that I said it and stuff like that, I, I, can't, I can't fight anymore. This is just, oh, dear. This, how it, this is how it has to be. <laughs> <laughs> but William, again, I have to thank you so much for indulging me. <laughs> Absolutely, in, in both this podcast and everything that I've said with my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but if people again, so you are involved in a um, an amazing collection of, of projects that are coming out in the near future. Um, if people kind of want to hear about them and stay up to date with kind of what you're up to, where would kind of be the best place for them to do that? Um, more often than not, although I am just kind of talking about. Donkey Kong nonsense right now on it, uh, on Twitter, um, at the Willy Boo. Um, and yet, usually if you can't find me on Twitter, I am involved in a few streaming projects at the moment. Um, on uh, a quick little break with the Shadows We Cast, which usually happens every Thursday over at uh, Twitch TV, Colonel Cheru, which is always fun. And then uh, tomorrow I'm going to be showing up on a Venture Maiden sort of project as well. Yeah, just find me on Twitter, and then you can figure out the rest from there. Yeah, I'd like to, I've got I've got a smart audience. They can <laughs> <laughs> no, no, fantastic. Um, yeah, and uh, I guess yeah. By by, I've I'm Matthew Whitby. Oh, I will say I, if you don't mind, can I use this as a moment to plug one of my own products? Because by the time yeah. yeah, by the time this comes out, uh, it would be released. Um, tai Chi's Torment um, is an adventure released by uh, myself, Ginny Loveday. Uh, Sadie Lowry and uh, with art by Liz Gist. Um, that I, I'm gonna again. This is my podcast. I'm gonna I'm gonna include a link for that. Do it. <laughs> description as well. Um, no, amazing project. Uh, I'm, uh, if you want to explore um, what is it the the ebb and flow of luck and misfortune in Waterdeep, um, it's a, a, a neat, neat little adventure for that. Um, but yeah, and, and yeah, you can find out more about it at, on my Twitter at Whippy Writes. Um, Thank you. Again, <laughs> it's, you know, it, 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 it's, been, it's been a dry spell between projects. So <laughs> it, it feels like that, right? And then yeah. they just all start flooding out and it's like, oh my goodness, I don't have time for anything else. But it's, it's fine. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah, so but with that aside, um, I guess my, my final question is then, how do we end a podcast? How do you end a podcast? Well, I mean, you do your tagline at the end and then you say goodnight, everybody, I would oh. say. Okay. Um, okay, I mean... I, <laughs> you have your own tagline? I've just thought of one, and you're gonna hate it. <laughs> Go, oh no! Oh no! <laughs> you, you know what's coming. <laughs> um, um. Anyway, well, thank you, thank you, Willie. <laughs> I'm dreading ending the podcast. It's been and, too great. And to end the podcast, as always, my tagline: choose your feet carefully. <laughs> Thank you, good night. <laughs>